This is Morning Jolt with Sister Ignatia from the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Morning Jolt is a production of Spoke Street Media. Wake up, Mom. Hey. Wow. Isn't this fun? Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting on our front porch like we like to do. <laughs> like we, This is actually the first time we've sitting on our front porch. Well, this visit. This yes. visit. That's true. That's true. So we usually describe our coffee to start with. Mm. Are you going to make fun of my coffee? Um, it's just a drip I try coffee. To... It's nothing special. It's Well, your criteria for coffee is? Caffeine in the morning. That's it. I need it it's, to be it's hot. easy. It's hot. And, well, it's no longer hot. Well, and caffeine. So, yeah, Mama just needed I mean, it to be easy. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> you can't usually handle the whole pour over... Regimen. I did it for a long time in the morning, and then I realized that my eggs and my coffee were done at different times. Ooh. It doesn't work out. So <laughs> just hit the button and have hot coffee and eggs at the same time. You know? Hey. Yeah. Thanks. Works. So we are literally on my parents' front porch in Syracuse, New York, because I'm on a home visit. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's your favorite time of year. When you're home. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I thought so. You want to share what we've been doing the last few days? Well, probably most important is a visit with your nephews and niece. <laughs> I know. That's been the most important. They're pretty cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having a lot of playtime and fun with the kiddos. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Corey, Caroline, and Jacob. <laughs> the two-month-old who, you know. <laughs> He loves you already. That's right. I know. I think he does. I think he does too. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's a lot of meaningful eye contact. Yeah. You know, smiles kind of, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll have more time with the kids. Still, I'm home for another week. Yeah. And you've been helping out with the gallery wall. Oh, yes. Yeah. When I'm home, we usually find some kind of project that my mother wants to have done. <laughs> That I have I not been able to accomplish. <laughs> on your own. Yeah, on I need own. Ins- inspiration. So okay. I'm the encourager. Mm-hmm. When we hit a rough patch, no, we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and we're getting through it. That's right. It's going to be awesome. We've had to hot glue a few things that yep. you wouldn't normally hot glue together, but <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be great. It's um, not on the wall yet. But hey, hey, it's, <laughs> it it's, will be. We have seven days. Yep. We're going to get it. It's going to get up on the wall. It's going to be beautiful. Yep. So I think it's going to be a good visit. Yeah. As always is. So if people have been listening to Morning Jolt, they perhaps remember that I shared my mom's experience with abortion back November 18th, 2020. So if you want to go back and take a listen to that. But I thought since we're home together, we could, maybe if you want to share a little bit more about what your healing journey looked like you know, that first kind of maybe retreat that really helped you experience God's mercy more. And then then later we can all talk about like your ministry now, how that's translated to how you help other women. Yeah, I'm glad to to share. I do feel God's asked me to Mm -hmm. share my story and his message of mercy. And I'm always so happy to be asked to do it. And then when it comes down to it, 
I wonder why I say yes. <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking. It's a little nerve wracking, yeah. but I am yeah. happy to do it. So yes, sister did share a bit of my story, finding out that I was pregnant and unmarried was, I feel like an animal being stuck in a trap mm. that gnaws its leg off. Mm. Um, there was no real thought process. It was all experiences or all decisions made from fear. I later, of course, regretted and thought I had done the unforgivable. And thankfully, sought out confession with a great priest who, you know, told me of God's mercy and had a wonderful confession. And as I say in my testimony, I thought I was going to fly home. <laughs> I was riding a bicycle, but I thought I was going to fly home, that freeing sensation. So that was the first step. Later, after we began to have children, some of that shame and guilt was weighing on me, mm. you know, again. And I think I, I realized that a steady walk with Jesus mm. is the way to go, you know, not a one-time exercise in forgiveness, but mm. just a steady, a steady walk with him and his love and mercy. So I began to feel the weight of that again and saw an ad in our bulletin for post-abortion healing. And I always suggest to anyone putting something in the bulletin that you do it at least three times because it took me that long. We came from a pretty small parish. So like, if you're wondering if something like a post-abortion ministry should be you know, like, oh, we have a small parish, chances are, you know, or like no one's going to come or something like. Chances are one in three or four women mm -hmm. have a post-abortion experience and that's not counting men. Yeah. So I didn't go to anything that was happening in our parish. And I think a lot of women who are under that secrecy of a post-abortion. Yeah. I went, we lived in a small town at the time. I came to the city yeah. and felt a bit safer, I guess, quote unquote, mm -hmm. being anonymous. So that was my first step back into a real process of healing. And it was through a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. And my healing began as I walked through the door. I saw a woman being helped in by a friend, and she was so just crippled with pain. And I thought to myself, God doesn't want that for her. And in that, mm. you know, in that exact moment realized, well, if he doesn't want that for her, then he must not want that for me. And so that retreat really began my healing process my emotional and mental healing process. And about how old were you when that happened? This was, I'm trying to think, uh, a good decade or more after my abortion. Wow. Which is very typical. In the post-abortion healing ministry, we get very few young women. Wow. And one of the things I realized on that retreat as well, we had a few moments 
where we could just um, kind of relax, take a walk, you know, chit chat with each mm-hmm. other. And, you know, one woman was a secretary and one was this and one was that. And I'd heard their gut wrenching stories mm-hmm. already. And I realized we're like the walking dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, these these stories that came out were just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The grief and the shame and the guilt that they were living with mm-hmm. for years mm-hmm. and years and years and the secret that yeah. they kept. And to know that you see these women every day. A third of the women you see, 25% of the women you see, have a story like that. Right. They're living their life repressing mm-hmm. all of those feelings, mm-hmm. all of that guilt and everything. So that really spoke to me. Later on, I decided I needed to do something with this healing that mm-hmm. I had received with um, that knowledge of God's mercy. And I had tried to volunteer at a pregnancy center in the next town over. I thought, well, that will be safe. I'll be. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> right. I'll be over there. And unfortunately, they had a statement of faith that I wasn't able to sign. Mm. So I went to our priest and said, gee, can Mm. you talk to them? I'd like to volunteer. And after time, it was decided that we were going to open up a pregnancy center in our own little town. And I remember somebody telling me that that's what we were going to do. Another woman who had tried to volunteer and wasn't able to. And on the outside, I'm smiling and saying, oh, that's great. On the inside, I'm freaking out because this is mm. going to be across the street from our parish. This is not going to be yeah. anonymous. Yeah, This is not going to be a secret mm. anymore. Because at that point, you really had only told dad. Right. I told your dad sisters. when we started dating um, my sisters and probably a couple, you know, a yeah. couple friends. So at the first board meeting, that's when I told the other board members. Wow. Because yeah. how could I continue? And I received love and mercy from mm-hmm. them right from the beginning. So as we went on with the pregnancy center, whenever there was abortion-minded girl that came in, I got a phone call. Luckily, mm-hmm. in a small town, we lived a block away. Yeah. I'd ask you if you kids were home, I'd ask you to kneel down in front of the mm-hmm. sacred heart yep. and off I went. <laughs> and at that time, I just thought you were a wonderful, compassionate person. <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, so part of it is, yeah, my, you shared your story with me. Oh gosh, it was probably seven, eight years ago now. Right, I was told that um, when you guys were kids that it wasn't the right time. And I think any mom has to make that decision for herself when the right time is, Mm -hmm. if it's the right time. Yeah. So many years go by. I was involved with the pregnancy center for over 20 years or about 20 years. And I began to see information about Project Rachel in our diocese. Mm -hmm. So I went to a couple of, not events, but um, services that they had or whatever, and was asked if I wanted to join uh, Mm. the ministry. And through that, I believe in prayer that God really gave me a sign that I needed 
to be vocal. Mm-hmm. We live in a small town. We have these field days. We have field days parades. They're a big deal. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. The whole town lines up on Main Street, mm-hmm. and the firemen go by, and the bands, and it's it's a big deal. So the vision that I believe God gave to me was all of us post-abortion women were lined on the streets mm. as if we we're watching a parade, but the parade was all the young women marching off to Planned Parenthood. Wow. And we're just silent. Mm. Mm. We're just silent. Wow. We're in pain. We're suffering, but we keep it to ourselves and we just allow women to mm-hmm. march off, you know, to their, yeah. to their, and their baby's demise. Yeah. And their own death in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it took me a very long time. I realized if I was going to be more vocal, more than within the pregnancy center, that I was going to have to talk to you and your brother. Yeah. That if it was going to be public knowledge, that you were not going to find out from somebody else. Right. So yeah. that took me some time. Understandable. Uh, you yeah. had entered the convent at that point. Yeah, I was a novice. And yeah. your brother was living in California. Mm-hmm. Married. Married and in California. And when he was home, he and his wife were together. I really wanted to tell him on his own, not to keep it from my daughter-in-law, but just so that he could tell her. Yeah. And how was I going to tell you at that time? We were only having five-hour visits. Right. (laughs) So so I'm deciding, okay, and you did come home, but do I begin a two-week vacation with this information Mm -hmm. and that that colors your two weeks Mm -hmm. home? Or do I tell you before I put you on a plane going back home? It just, the logistics of it really kept me from moving forward. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the devil just had my my head spinning. Mm. I couldn't figure out logistically how I was going to have this happen. And um, remarkably, in confession, I, mm. I sat with another dear, dear sweet priest who was working with the Project Rachel uh, ministry, and I'm blathering on about how I'm going to accomplish mm this and he simply after i got done he simply said the truth will set you free and he had the most peaceful Mm -hmm. look on his face and it seems like maybe such a trite statement but in that exact moment it became completely clear Mm -hmm. exactly how Mm -hmm. i would accomplish this so I just made arrangements when we were together. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? That was I. I, yeah. I often wondered. Um, you tend to be very intuitive. Yeah, but I could tell when I yeah. spoke to you that it was a shock. It was a shock, but it wasn't like a shock that you then. The automatic reaction is to like reject it. Of like, no, that's not true. I don't think that was the kind of shock that I had, it was, yeah, it was immediately like, no, this is, this makes, yeah, this is true. This makes sense. Or like the Mm -hmm. Lord like prepared me in a way. 
I guess. You were very yeah, compassionate. Like, you were very compassionate. Mm-hmm. You came and sat next to me and hugged me. And and I also told you that I was not passing along a secret, that if you needed right. counsel with yeah. someone, mm-hmm. that you were free to do that. So I remember the next morning in the, I was going to say chow line. That's because <laughs> I was, used to be in service. the service. In our, our uh, breakfast, serving line. Our serving, serving line for at breakfast the yeah. at the convent. I remember you saying to me, that must be a weight off of you. And yeah. I thought, no, it was, <laughs> that night was, Yeah, I was in distress over it. Yeah. Um, but but it was the right thing to yeah. do and it was good and then a few months later our son and his wife were home mm-hmm. and it just worked into the conversation mm-hmm. um our daughter-in-law was uh visiting a friend so our son and I were together mm-hmm. and he too was yeah i could see the look of shock on his face but he too was very compassionate mm-hmm. and came and sat next to me and put his arm around mm-hmm. me and and he and I have like since talked and of course, I mean, like, yeah, I've shared it with a few close friends of sisters that I have. And yeah. And even like in my, my work now, like with young women, especially during the, their twenties, it just, yeah, you find out things about your parents because the time is when now when you're an adult and like, you know, we think our parents are. I always think perfect. Your parents are perfect. <laughs> but yeah, that's not how that's not how God works. And yeah, his plan is still good. So to like yeah. Yeah. It was necessary for me mm-hmm. to move forward with what I felt God was asking me to do. And so I do work with Project Rachel. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. program. I do know that in the Fort Wayne, South Bend area. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are active, and I believe Sister will give information yeah. or um, have that information available. And you can just look them up mm-hmm. online, as we did. Yeah. I wanted to make sure yeah. that Project Rachel, Fort Wayne, South Bend Diocese will bring you right there. Yeah, yeah. What does that ministry for you look like, or what is your role Maybe what does a initial retreat, maybe like the first retreat, maybe that a young woman would go come to or what would that look like? Well, it'd be great if we got young women. That's true. (laughs) Unfortunately, it is after uh, decades of Mm -hmm. keeping this secret. Yeah. But we try to get information out through bulletins. We have flyers that we put up in parishes and what I suggest is always having that flyer in the ladies' room. Mm -hmm. No one's going to out themselves by getting information in the vestibule of their church (laughs) um, by pulling the little phone Mm -hmm. number tab or or even stopping to read it, probably. So I always suggest that they get hung up in the bathroom and even inside the stall, Mm -hmm. if necessary, anywhere where somebody can confidently get the information. So usually our first encounter uh, with a woman or man is them emailing or calling. Mm. And we don't have the phones manned, but they are checked and we get right back to them Mm. as soon as possible. So there's a couple of us that will call. So our initial 
time with a woman contacting us, uh, one of us will call them directly with their permission, of course, to use the email or phone number. And we'll start a dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, get some initial ideas of their story, how they've been doing over the mm-hmm. years, how it's impacted mentally, physically with their relations, that yeah. kind of thing, and invite them to a retreat. So in our diocese, we have a one-day retreat, and at that retreat, they come often very timidly. Mm. I think we've garnered some trust to that point. Mm. It's a beautiful day. We have adoration. There is a priest there. I know for some women, it has caused, their abortion story has caused kind of a woundedness between them and men. Mm -hmm. And I think the priest holds a real important role Mm -hmm. in showing that uh, mercy and compassion and acceptance and love that perhaps they haven't gotten before. So there is, you know, at some point, if they choose, there's confession. I give my testimony Mm. right off the bat. And you know, there's tears. Mm. It's time for all that hurt that they have repressed Mm. that takes some time to come to the surface, to let go of, to just start to process. And it's, it's gentle. It's a loving place. And we invite them to Maybe take on some of their, you know, tell us some of their story, whatever, what they're comfortable mm-hmm. with. And we end with mass and hugs and yeah. uh, knowledge mm-hmm. that at that point they are then welcome to join us once a month at a gathering. Mm-hmm. And this is a couple hours, maybe two hour gathering where we do a scripture study, a little mm-hmm sharing, um, we're able to use a lot of information that comes from the Sisters of Life. Mm. They've done a lot of good work, so we don't have to rewrite the book on it. And do you find once you share your story that that sometimes just opens a door for the women to even talk to you or entrust their story to in a way they maybe wouldn't have been able to? Right. I do go into as much detail as possible Mm -hmm. because, and every woman's story is somewhat different. Mm -hmm. One thing that seems to be a common thread is that idea that they have done the unforgivable. Yeah. And that's what I thought when I went to Mm -hmm. a priest. I've done the unforgivable thing. And I hear that over and over and over again. So I started asking women, you know, who's telling you this? Mm -hmm. And Nobody. Yeah, yeah. And I said, right, nobody told you that, that this is what we tell ourselves, that what we've done is unforgivable, and it's a lack of trust in God's mercy. Mm-hmm. So we beat ourselves up, and some women act out being that they think they've done the unforgivable, mm-hmm. so yeah, what's the point of, of living a good life? Or many and most that we encounter do go to church regularly. Mm-hmm but they feel that they're really not in full communion. Yeah. What maybe would you tell a woman who maybe has had an abortion in her past and she's has kept it hidden maybe for years now? What maybe, 
would you maybe say to her? Yeah, I want to encourage anyone, whether it's been a week mm-hmm. or 20 years, that God's mercy is bigger than your sin. Mm-hmm. And I encourage women all the time when I speak to them on the phone or to pick up uh, St. Faustina's diary. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus could be more clear mm-hmm. about his mercy. Part of my testimony, he says, act like a beggar. You should not back away and say you're not worthy. I know you're unworthy, but rejoice all the more and take as many treasures from my heart as you can carry. Hmm. When I do say that, I say, imagine you've been able to go to, I don't know, whatever big department store (laughs) and get all you can carry. And I spread my arms out. I mean, wouldn't you, you know, take as much as you could carry. And and that is what Jesus is asking you. And he often says, you know, the bigger the sinner, the more mercy. And the more that's taken from me, the more it grows. Mm. So there's just no escaping. You know, anytime I've wanted to kind of retreat back into a dark place mm-hmm. or whatever, I, I realize there's no escaping this mercy and love of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He's, he couldn't be more plain. He couldn't have stated it better. And so I suggest that if that's who you think you are, mm. reach out to Project Rachel or Rachel's Vineyard. You'll find compassion. Mm-hmm. You'll find, and you don't have to be vocal like I am, mm-hmm. but you need to tell somebody. And that's a safe place. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah, proud of what you do. And Thanks. Yeah. Telling people. And I'm happy to share too. So it gives me an opportunity to share. And I'm glad Absolutely. that you, we get to share together. So, yeah. Would you care to close us with a little prayer? Yeah. That'd be great. Lord Jesus, you know all the people who are listening, who need to trust in your mercy. And we ask that you grant them the grace to trust, to reach out, to find the place, the phone number, the email, the person that will walk with them, that will give them the confidence to come forward even if it's just to a couple of people. Grant them your grace. Ask your mother to watch over them. And we ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks again. Thanks, sister. I'm glad to have been able to chat on the porch. (laughs) Like we always do. Yeah. This is good. Okay. I hope you like Religious Life as much as I do. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, contact us at our website, ssfpa.org. He leads, I follow. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.